Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. We're in the festival of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the seventh and final feast of the Lord. And it's one of the three pilgrimage festivals that God gave Israel. Uh, We understand three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, which is Shavuot, and then in the fall, Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Uh, And... uh, Uh, As we shared, uh, uh, as we closed in prayer earlier, uh, it's a time of a great outpouring, the promise of a great outpouring as given in Joel chapter 2, spiritual outpouring, amen, financial outpouring. So let's get our faith turned on. Let's get some seed in the ground. Don't keep the seed in the barn, put it in the ground. And then uh, don't complain over it. That's the wrong kind of watering. That's like watering it with Roundup. But with faith and expectation, declare the goodness of God. Praise the Lord for your miracle harvest. That's how it works in the spirit realm. Amen. But uh, Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, it's well documented in the Old and New Testaments. Uh, and uh, uh, because most of us were raised as New Testament people, uh, go with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. You remember this by heart. The Word became flesh, and what? Dwelt among us. Guess what the meaning of the word dwelt is? Tabernacle. You go back into the old language, the, uh, and the Word became came flesh and tabernacle with us. So right there is uh, a reference, an allusion uh, to the Feast of Tabernacles. And it relates to God's people being instructed by the Lord uh, to build sukkahs, those temporary shelters uh, that they lived in in the 40 years in the wilderness. And so uh, that's a, a, a neat, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now we won't get uh, this year get into John 7, 8, and 9. But if you go into John 7, does anybody still read the Bible? I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Read John 7, 8, and 9. The backdrop for all of that is the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, right? He's teaching during the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's relating some of the symbolism that comes up in the Feast of Tabernacles to himself. For instance, uh, one of the the things that would happen during this seven-day feast is they would bring out 70-foot-high candelabras. And then uh, they would have these giant bowls of oil and they would use the high priest's clothing as wicks. And then uh, the lucky guys got to shimmy up the... It must have been from Oregon. <laughs> Tree climbers. 
70 foot high and light the, and it would light up the whole city. Uh, the ancient literature says. And as this happened, this is where Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. So he's linking tabernacles to himself. Same thing with uh, the ceremony that took place with the, uh, the water. They would go down uh, beneath the city of David to the pool of Siloam, which was the Messiah's pool, a miracle pool. And they would dip the pitcher in the pool of Siloam, and the priest would take that up the pilgrim road uh, up to the temple as part of the water libation ceremony, and there'd be a great procession. It was like the Rose Bowl parade, uh, Pied Piper leading the way. And uh, it was during this ceremony that Jesus declared uh, that I am living water. He that drinks from me will never thirst again. Uh, And so all of that symbolism, many uh, other things, uh, all connect us to the importance of uh, understanding the revelation behind tabernacles. Uh, Many Bible scholars believe the birth of Christ uh, occurred during Sukkot. Of course, if you're younger and now you're hearing that, well, I thought he was born at Christmas. (laughs) Well, try not to share this with anybody, you know, under eight. <laughs> but December 25th wasn't G- isn't Jesus' birthday. If you go back into uh, old history, you'll find out it was, the, uh, uh, it was the celebration of the winter solstice and all the Roman gods loved December 25th, including the god Mithras. And so it became a celebration that, well, how do we get all the Christians to cooperate? Well, let's just combine pagan holidays with their holidays and we'll just all be unified. How many of y'all want to combine witchcraft with your Christianity? I don't see any hands. Oh, there's that one. We cast that devil out. (laughs) Isaiah 7.14 gives a prophecy. So Adonai himself will give you this sign. A virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God tabernacling with us. Right? And it's funny, we'll get to this, but you just don't see the name Emmanuel pop up in any of the New Testament teachings. And that's because I believe that the revelation of Emmanuel, God with us, will be revealed in its fullness when we go into the Sabbath millennium. And we're tabernacling with the Lord for all of eternity. Right? And so, uh, just if you do the math, uh, if you go nine months back from Sukkot, that nine months in reverse takes you to Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is the, fa- uh, the festival of lights. And who just happens to be the light of the world? Yeshua, Jesus. And so 
Fast forward from Hanukkah, nine months, lands right on the Feast of Tabernacles. Amen. And so that's likely when Jesus was born. Uh, and it's no coincidence when you go to Costco or you go to uh, uh, Hobby Lobby and buy a nativity scene. Many of your nativity scenes have a little hut. And that little hut resembles a sukkah. A temporary shelter, one of the names of uh, Sukkot feast of Ta- is the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Sukkahs. And so all of these things uh, tie in to what a mighty God we serve. Amen? Amen. All right. So... Jews from 3,400 years ago to this very day still follow the commandment of God to build a temporary shelter, a sukkah in their home. Or you go into Israel right now, there are just, uh, they're everywhere. And uh, it, they build these in honor of God's faithfulness to them in the desert, Right? Not only did they have a temporary shelter that they built, guess what the Shekinah glory, the clouds of glory created for them? A covering, a shelter uh, from all of the uh, harsh weather in the desert. If you've been in Israel and been in the desert, uh, one thing I can guarantee you, it's hot and dusty. So God commanded them to pass down uh, this tradition so that it would be memorialized every year on his calendar. And God bless Israel for being faithful. Right? And here's a news flash. As followers of Christ, we're grafted into that. We're grafted into that. Romans 11. Don't be boasting that you're the hot one. You're the the lead dog. Israel's the lead dog. Right? And uh, therefore, we need to educate ourselves. We need to honor these ancient traditions, not mock them or ignore them. We need to honor them. And that's what we're doing at New Beginnings and many congregations like us around the world. And one major reason is they reveal the redeeming work of the Messiah. God just didn't want Israel involved with busy work. Right? Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're getting anything done. That's a good business rule. The, The busiest beaver in the dam isn't necessarily getting the most done. They're just the busiest beaver. And so the festivals, the feasts of God, reveal the work of the Messiah. The spring feasts reveal what he would do in his first coming. And then the fall feasts reveal what he would do or what he's going to do in his second coming. Pastors spent a lot of time teaching on the signs of God, revival or rapture, and uh, we've covered a lot of that. But just by way of review, if you begin at Passover... We see Jesus revealed as the Lamb of God. 
The next day begins the seven-day feast of unleavened bread, which reveals his sinless life. Right? Three days after Passover is the feast of first fruits, which reveals the resurrection. Okay, it's a shadow of things to come. Fifty days after Passover is Pentecost, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, when God first gave the Ten Commandments, and then uh, 1,500 years later, on the same moment, He gave the Holy Spirit. Then you have a, a, a long length of time, and then the fall feast come. It begins with the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. And this is a shadow of the rapture. Seven days later, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's a shadow of the Lord's second coming when we enter into the Sabbath millennium, which is the picture of the Feast of Tabernacles when we rule and reign and tabernacle with the Lord forever. I'm looking forward to that day. Aren't you? In fact, if you look at Revelation... Um, the book of Revelation 21.3, turn over to Revelation 21.3. It says, I heard a great voice out of heaven Amen. saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. The tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. See, so it's referring to Jesus as the living tabernacle. He's the living Shekinah glory. He's the living covering over our lives, and it won't be a temporary booth that after eight days it's disassembled. It's going to be an eternal tabernacle. And they shall be his people And God himself shall be with them. God himself will tabernacle with them and be their God. Turn and tell somebody, it sounds good to me. (laughs) Hallelujah. So the feasts are part of God's master plan. Uh, There's a prophecy in Zechariah we want to point you to that proves the point that the feasts reveal things about what God is going to do. And here it speaks about Sukkot in the Messianic era, in the Sabbath millennium, Zechariah 14. Very prophetic. We'll just read a couple uh, passages, but in verse 16, Zechariah 14, 16, it shall come to pass... That everyone who is left of all the Gentile nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep what? The Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah is describing a time when there's just certain people left of the Gentile nations. They're left after the seven-year tribulation. Some people will come out of the seven-year tribulation. They'll be left. There'll be a remnant that uh, uh, survived. 
And these nations, these peoples that came against Jerusalem in the Battle of Armageddon. Who's ever heard of the Battle of Armageddon? That's not the one with Bruce Willis. Armageddon is the Hebrew word. We've been there. There's an actual place, Armageddon in the north, near Nazareth. And Megiddo is a giant valley where the armies uh, of the Antichrist, the armies that hate Israel, they hate you and I for our faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will assemble to try to eliminate Israel. They're trying now. They, they've been trying for every generation. They're not going to give up. But at that time as they assemble, and after that seven years uh, up in heaven with the Lord, we return on the day of atonement and with a word the king of kings slays the enemies but whoever's left they're either they're going to come up year to year to worship on the feast of tabernacles and it shall be verse 17 that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up Can you imagine after going through all of this, there'd still be some people that dig in their heels and are stubborn and they refuse and they just rebel against the things of God. Well, for them that do not come up to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on the Feast of Tabernacles, there will be no rain. There will be no rain. Now look, that's already starting now. For those that just blow Feast of Tabernacles off, ignore it, think it's abolished, want to create a, a, a narrative that the secular humanists want to create. Why do Christians want to be in bed with secular humanists that want to get rid of God? Better rethink that, people. No one here, of course. But you better rethink that. Zechariah proves you better rethink that. Because it's going to be celebrated after the rapture and after the second coming. So uh, here's three parts of Zechariah's prophecy of, of many things we could talk about. Number one, everyone that is left from all nations. Again, there are those that are left alive coming out of the tribulation. And the tribulation is a great global catastrophe. But it's not so much the Antichrist, it's God's judgment against the Antichrist. And it's really to be better thought of as a jubilee moment. Where everything that was uh, given to mankind and stolen by the devil is now reverting back to the original owner, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And so there's a groaning, there's a fighting. I don't want to give it up. Well, you're going to have to give it up. Number two, they'll come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, not Rome. They're not coming to Dallas. Not going to see Mecca is not in the picture. Right? Any of the holy places. It's coming up to Jerusalem. To worship the king. And that means that every nation is finally going to realize, good or bad, that every knee is going to bow. 
(laughs) And every tongue is going to confess that the man on the throne in Jerusalem, Messiah Yeshua, is the King of kings, the Lord of glory, and you'll bow down one by hook or crook. And if you refuse and rebel, you won't get any blessing. There'll be no rain. And that's number three. Rain is a symbol of the blessing of God, isn't it? God wants to pour out his blessing. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a festival of rain. We're praying for rain, the early rain, the latter rain, and a miracle harvest that comes with it. And without rain, there's no growth, there's no refreshing, there's no life. And so, uh, thank God we have that revelation. And uh, thank God there's going to be an abundance of rain in our lives as we go into this new year. So Sukkot is the only feast that uh, is mentioned in the Bible in connection with the Gentiles, as we just saw here. Now there's no doubt that Tabernacles is about the miracle exodus from Egypt and how God covered Israel uh, on their journey to the promised land. And we don't want to diminish that. We don't want our Jewish brothers and sisters to think we're trying to religiously and culturally appropriate something that for generations has been exclusively theirs. But even Jews would agree that uh, the Gentile uh, component of tabernacles is real. And we'll get to some of that here in just a moment. But... uh, Uh, As we're learning today, when you study tabernacles, there's a bigger picture. Amen. Amen. And God is pointing us to the connection to end time events. This year, more than any other year, we want to get our minds around the revelation of tabernacles and how it's pointing us to the future. We can look back at the past and see what Israel's done and uh, honor that and celebrate that, respect that. But let's all look to the future. Because Zechariah is giving us history in advance. All the nations will be required to keep this holiday and, they, uh, and part of the requirement is go to Jerusalem. And in that day, that's when we're going to see Emmanuel, God with us, and worship him in that way and in many ways. And it's going to be his presence that shelters us. He'll be the living tabernacle over us, the living sukkah. And all the persecution, anybody gone through some oppression some bad times, some persecution where the enemies tried to take you out, all of that ends. That's over, right? Now, some people that uh, made it through the tribulation, it's not going to be over for them. It's hard to believe that there's still going to be nations during the Sabbath millennium That thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, you can read it for yourself in Revelation 20. Revelation 20 describes all of this. God gives all the nations, all the people a thousand years to come around to the idea that what you're witnessing is real. It's not a mirage. 
It's not false. It's not fake or counterfeit. This is the real deal, and he's the real king of kings. You would think after a thousand years, somebody would get it through their thick skull. But at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released. He's been bound. And he's released for one final chance to recruit, to deceive, and to initiate a a violent coup against the Lord. Of course, he fails miserably. He already knows his end, but he still, you know, and some people know the Bible, but they still refuse. Hard to believe. So everything that's happening here is Jerusalem-centered, right? Armageddon is a battle over Israel. The king of kings is headquartered in Jerusalem. The Lord doesn't come back in order to install a Protestant government. Newsflash, he's not coming back to install uh, Catholicism as the, the way that we move forward in expressing our love and faith for the Lord. It's certainly not Islamic. Certainly not, we're not going to follow some Hindu or Buddhist teaching or Islamic teaching or Catholic teaching or Protestant teaching. Everything will be distinctly Jewish. Right? And we're just getting a head start on most of the world, aren't we? <laughs> we're, we're getting uh, uh, acquainted with the idea that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the basis for all of his teaching, all of the government, remember, the government will be upon... His shoulders, this is starting in the millennium. The basis for all of what uh, is going on in the millennium is from the Torah. Say that word, Torah. It's not a Japanese movie about the uh, World War II. Torah, Torah, Torah. It's about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's about Moses and the prophets. And now it's about uh, the Jewish apostles, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Here's a prophecy out of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 2. That tells us the wisdom for Christians to begin now to migrate back to the origins of our faith. How many of you know who the first Jew is? Abraham. He's the father of our faith. Go to Romans 11. Or, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 11. Tell you all about Abraham. Romans chapter 4 and many other New Testament scriptures validate that Abraham is our father, not, not Darth Vader. I am your father. No, Abraham's your father. And Isaiah tells us what's going to happen when Jesus sets up his rule and reign headquartered in Jerusalem, and we're in that thousand-year reign of the Messiah, Revelation 20. What happens? 
Here's another version of Zechariah 14, Isaiah uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. Isn't that good? The most important place on earth, Jerusalem. It will be raised above the other hills, above our Catholicism, our Protestantism, our uh, baptismism, (laughs) and all the other religions. It will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream to worship there. Do you see that? This hasn't happened yet. So it's history in advance. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That's in the U.N., Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. So there's a uh, prophecy. Hadn't happened yet, but when it does, it's already, we're already doing what this says. We're respecting our Judeo-Christian history. We're honoring the feasts of the Lord, the symbols of God, like the tallit, the mezuzah, the shofar, the menorah. All of these things are part of Ancestry.com, right? The farther you go back into your Ancestry.com, if you, you have an Ancestry.com experience where you go back to try to find the history of your family, the history of the Christian family is Jewish, And it goes all the way back to Jerusalem, all the way back to Abraham. Why do we keep trying to wipe that out? So we get these amazing visions of future events, and it's a picture of Sukkot. Amen? And it shows us how the Jewish people are going to complete their destiny by being a light to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? And it validates what we're doing here. When you begin to understand these things, suddenly you realize, well, so this is why God called me to new beginnings. To uh, find out about the Jewishness of the gospel. The Jerusalem version of the gospel instead of the Roman Catholic version of the gospel. And we love Roman Catholic people. They do agree. But all the doctrines that they've implemented, a lot of those things, uh, they just appropriated from uh, Jerusalem uh, as a way to get people to shift their uh, allegiance from Israel to Italy. So returning to our Jewish roots isn't a bad idea, is it? That's where we're headed. We just got a head start. So we all pray that more Christian people, more Arab people, 
uh, have spiritual eyes to see this. And this is why even now when you see this uh, coming together of Arab nations with Israel, it's a shadow of things to come. Ishmael and Isaac came together at Abraham's funeral in the book of Genesis. And even though Ishmael was the elder, Isaac is mentioned first because Ishmael acknowledges at the end that it's really Isaac has the revelation. He has the blessing. So we're yielding to that. And so is the church. We're yielding to that. And that's our goal as a ministry. That's, pa- that's why you're here. That's why we love Pastor and Tiz and support them for their work that they're doing to repair the breach, to build the bridges between Jews and Christians. So we're, well, uh, what do you, what do you, we're trying to turn the church back to its Jewish roots. Not so we can necessarily wear zitzits or so I, would you like me to grow the curly cues? We've often wondered, because they have those fake hats there in Jerusalem with the curly cue. We are always wondering, should we get one of those? And then pastor, when we come back from a trip, he says, y'all, something happened to Scotty. (laughs) And then show that picture. (laughs) Praise God. So we won't read it, but if you go into Numbers 29... Verses 12 through 34, you get a, 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 another glimpse or picture of what God wants to accomplish during Feast of Tabernacles. And among the many sacrifices back in temple times is that uh, there were uh, 70 bulls sacrificed during the week and 98 lambs sacrificed during the week. And the 98 lambs were sacrificed to reverse the 98 curses of Deuteronomy 28. And so this is a, um, this is a, a shadow and a type of what you and I need to do in our own lives. Not everybody is operating under 98 curses. So don't go out and look for a devil in every doorknob. But if there's something that keeps recurring in your life and you realize this thing keeps coming back up and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows you that that thing has been attacking your family for a long, long time, Uh, it's been in the family DNA, you need by the power of the blood and in the name of Jesus, break the power of that curse. And if you have to repent of whatever happened in the past, Lord, I repent of that on behalf of my entire family. I release the power of the blood to cover me, to cover my family, my children, my grandchildren, my nieces and nephews, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, everyone in my extended family. I loosen the power of the blood, the power of the name of Jesus to break the curse so the blessing can flow. That's what you do. That's how it works. When is it going to stop? When you put your spiritual foot down and begin to declare war on the devil and invoke your authority. Take dominion. That's, that's what the, uh, the symbolism is here. 
And because the Feast of Tabernacles happens every year, it's another year where if you forgot, if you got off track, here's a great time today to start doing it. In praise and worship, under your breath, you just say, thank you, Lord, I am set free from every curse. Thank you, Lord, the blessings of Feast of Tabernacles are now free to flow over my life like an outpouring, like Niagara Falls. Not like a little creek, a little trickle. I want Niagara Falls version. And you keep, you keep at that, right? If you serve the Lord for 20 years, you got 20 times. <laughs> Plus every other day of the year. It's always lather, rinse, and repeat, isn't it? <laughs> right? Now the 70 bulls were offered on behalf of the 70 Gentile nations. And the 70 uh, Gentile nations uh, is a, a concept out of Genesis 10. And the 70 descendants of Noah, the righteous Gentile. That's where all that comes from. And it speaks to an outpouring of salvation upon all flesh. So every year at Sukkot, uh, the Levitical priesthood, the temple, the rabbis, the people would all get behind, let's break every curse and let's release salvation over all the Gentile nations. Let's have a worldwide revival. Amen. That's happened at a smaller level. But uh, as we get closer to the Messiah returning, it's going to happen at a big level. Right, We're going to see the grand outpouring of salvation and the great harvest of souls. And there'll be a unity between Jews and Gentiles, and may it also now begin to include Arabs. Amen. Right? Back to Zechariah, another prophecy. Zechariah, just before, uh, in verse 9, Zechariah 14, 9 Uh, talking about what's going to happen in that day. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day there will be one Lord, and his name alone will be worshipped. So to all of our Buddhist friends, our Hindu friends, our... uh, Islamic friends and Arab friends and uh, secular friends. There's coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess. We're just, we have a head start on it. But this unity is the vision of Malachi. And if you go into Malachi 4, you'll read about this in Malachi 4. In the last days, God promises to send the spirit of Elijah throughout the earth. And Elijah, when you read about his battles against Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, he wins. One against many, he wins. We're going to win. We are winners and we are going to win. Amen. But part of the spirit of Elijah, it says in Malachi 4, is that he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Growing up in Christianity, uh, this scripture was always used to talk about family. And you can apply it to family. The Torah isn't limited in that way. 
But it's really talking about spiritual family. The hearts of our spiritual fathers. The hearts of the spiritual children are going to come back together in unity. So the Jews are the spiritual fathers. We, we covered that. Abraham, the first Jew, right? Our heart is going to return to that, okay? To Jewish things, the Jewishness of the gospel. And the Jewish fathers, they're going to like us too. We're going to like each other again. The Hatfields and McCoys, did they have a happy ending? Did the Hatfields and McCoys have a happy ending? We're going to have a happy ending. There's a unique blessing that's prayed during Sukkot that underscores this. And part of the blessing is the compassionate one, may he raise for us the fallen sukkah of David. So during this time uh, of a holiday for all nations, one of the blessings is, may he raise for us the fallen sukkah of David, this fallen tabernacle of David. This is the blessing that Amos spoke in Amos 9. And many of you have supported us in our olive tree project in the land where Amos grew up, his village, Malay Amos. Uh, uh, we've been on that ground. That's where David tended Jesse's sheep, and we're, we're growing olive trees there. And uh, may God use the olive oil one day for use in the uh, a thousand-year reign of Christ in Jerusalem in the tabernacle and temple. But Amos said, on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up the ruins. Spiritually, he's talking about a damaged relationship between Jews and the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And so the tabernacle of David is very important to understand. It was a place of praise and worship. And it was a place where there was no dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. It was just a tent, a tabernacle, a sukkah, right? Psalm 117 speaks of the revelation associated with David's tabernacle. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles! Laud him, all you people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. It's a Feast of Tabernacles psalm. It's a Tabernacle of David psalm, and it's a psalm that uh, the Apostle Paul quotes in Romans 15.11. The Apostle Paul is the Apostle to the Gentiles. He had the toughest job of any preacher ever, trying to harmonize Sadducees and Pharisees and Essenes and Zealots and Gentiles. But he saw prophetically what most of the church still struggles to see. 
he saw that God wants to rebuild the tabernacle of David with no middle wall that divides Jews and Christians. And guess what? It's happening right now, and you and I, we're, we have a part in that through this ministry of tearing down the walls, rebuilding what was damaged and ruined. What was damaged and ruined? The relationship between Jews and Christians. And this is why Paul in Ephesians 2 gets into teaching on the one new man. One side are the prophets. The other side are the apostles. And Yeshua, the chief cornerstone, brings the revelation that each have together so that we can go into the future as one new man. Pastor Larry sees this. You see this. Much of the church world is still trying to see this. A lot of the leadership doesn't get it yet. They're invested in 30 years of seminary teaching. And if I change my sermons now, I'd have to study again. (laughs) You mean I can't use my file drawer of sermons anymore? No. That's part of the problem here. I got to (laughs) work. I wish I had time to get into this. Uh, It's a whole teaching in and of itself. But when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, he's talking about the tabernacle of David. And as we're learning, the tabernacle of David is connected with Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. But in John 4, man... I wish that we had time to read it, but it, it, it gets down to describing in verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For he is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so you're not going to worship. It's not going to be you got to be in Jerusalem. It's not going to be like you got to be in Rome. It's not got to be like you've got to be at some holy place or you don't get it. God brings you to a holy place in time. And the holy place in time is the appointed time of Feast of Tabernacles where you begin to stir up this revelation, appreciate it, let it get into your heart and soul so that you personally know that the wall between the Jewishness of Jesus and the Jewishness of the gospel doesn't scare you anymore. But you appreciate and honor it. Doesn't mean you have to wear a keeper. You can. Doesn't mean you need to wear a tallit. You, you can and you should. It doesn't mean you need to blow the show. You can do as little or as much according to Acts 15. But it's in Acts 15 where they see the revival amongst the Gentiles. Wish we had time to get into all of this. They say, and what's going on here? It's Amos's prophecy being fulfilled it's the rebuilding of the tabernacle of david it hadn't happened for uh, 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 it hadn't happened for a thousand years there's been a division animosity between jews and christians for a thousand years but it's all ending jews and christians are coming back together and we're witnessing something very special aren't we 
The tabernacle of David had been in ruins. And there's still damage control that has to be done. But by a miracle of God, all of a sudden what we're doing here is is making a difference. People are noticing. And other people are uh, from the Jewish side doing the same thing on their side. But what's happening is suddenly Galatians 3.28 is coming to pass. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ. We're getting to that. 